So glad that you're here this morning at Outward Church. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. We are working through uh, the book of Ecclesiastes, as you may know if you've been here. If not, we're glad that you're here today, and today's a fine time to to jump in with us. But so glad that you've uh, chosen to be part of Outward this morning, in spite of the fact that it is apparently going to be an 80-degree day. And so I am very encouraged by your attendance here today. So thanks for coming. I uh, think what Solomon has been talking about throughout this book, he's been saying that as you walk through life and as, and as you experience different things, oftentimes you get to a point where you kind of come to the end of something, like this isn't fun anymore, or I've already experienced all that I want in this. Addictions are the most real example of this, and that a, a little bit does enough for a while, and then you need a little bit more. Pornography is that way. A little bit is okay, and then a little bit more is needed, and then a little bit more is needed. But everything works this way. Money works this way. Power. Sex works this way. Everything works this way, and that you just kind of come to the end of it, and Solomon has been saying that throughout the beginning of the book. That everything is meaningless, you come to the end of it and it's, and, it, and it's gone, and if you think you've partied, I've partied way harder than you have, that's Solomon saying that. I don't know how hard you've partied, but we could compare notes later, but uh, Solomon has been somebody who, he has been in everything, he's been the richest man that ever lived, he was given this incredible wisdom from God, and so he has all of these incredible abilities, and so he's been saying, everything is meaningless, everything is meaningless, and so you kind of come to the end of that conversation and then he, he comes to this point where I think he's going to give us what is meaningful. I think that's what you're going to hear as we talk through this passage is what makes life actually meaningful? What makes your life meaningful in your day-to-day stuff? What, what are you here for? What's the point of your existence? Some of you came in without a relationship with God and you don't really understand what you're here for. What's this all about? And Solomon is really going to talk about something here. And I want to tell you this. Well, he's talking primarily to men, but it's absolutely transferable to our ladies in the room as well and ladies throughout all of time. But he's speaking to men, and he's also speaking uh, to people who have a, a religious understanding. These are, well, in, in their time, they're God-fearing people. And so Solomon is, is ex, essentially explaining to them what that should look like in their life. So let's jump right in uh, because it's going to be hard to explain without actually first reading the passage. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 says this, but all this, everything he's been talking about, every, everything that he's been uh, dealing with, how the, the future is hidden from man. And the past, we look at it and we just go, I can't understand why God would do that or why God would allow that to happen. And essentially what Solomon says is he says, God has done this so that man cannot figure it out. So part of God's plan in your life is that you don't have all of the answers. And when we, within the context of our theology, what we believe about God, when we have to come to a place where I absolutely understand this or I absolutely agree with who God is, you're in a bad spot oftentimes because God does some things, many things that are counterintuitive. And so this is what he's saying. He says, but all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds 
are in the hand of God. So God is in control of all. He is sovereign over everything. He's in the midst of all of this. He says, whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Let me just stop right there for just a second. The same event happens to all. Solomon drills down into this over and over again. You cannot predict the outcome of your life. You cannot force God's hand into causing you to have a good life. Let me be clear here. It doesn't matter how much money you give today. I wish it did, but it doesn't matter how much money you give today. Life is not guaranteed to go better. Now, I think there's some spiritual principles as we release what we have to God, whether it's money or anything else like that, that we, that we begin to trust him more. Our faith builds. But let me just tell you, it is no guarantee that life will go well for you. Because you came to church today, is no guarantee that life is going to go better for you. You may die tomorrow. Things may come undone. You may find out that a loved one has cancer. Life could fall apart at the seams. It is no guarantee. We've been talking about this, but Solomon is saying, I'm looking at this, and it just, it's perplexing, and it seems like it's an evil that this is taking place. But too many Christians think that the way that I live will de determine what happens to me. But then you're going to have a rude awakening when somehow the rug is pulled out from underneath you, and I believe what God is trying to say to you is, you can't control me. You cannot force my hand into you having a good life or the life that you want or the relationships that you want. You must be dependent upon me and me alone for your sustenance, for your relationship. Our primary relationship is with our God and everything else pairs in comparison. I got to keep going. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after they go to the dead, and after that they go to the dead. Do you see what he just said here? He continues to kind of repeat that refrain as well. The scriptures say this, that we're not uh, good people, I, you know, I, we're not primarily good people who just uh, do good things inherently, we're actually primarily evil people. That's a hard thing to hear. Many people kind of shy away from that, and they just go, I don't like the idea that I'm evil. I didn't come to church, uh, preacher, so that you could tell me that I'm an evil person. Some of you are sitting here saying, I know that already. Shut up. Like, I don't need to hear it anymore. And some of you are just going, I'm not evil. I am fantastic. But too often what we don't understand is where we stand before God we don't understand where we, uh, where we stand before God. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. 
You see what he says here? He says that there's evil in us, there's madness in our hearts while we live, and then after that we die. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the craziness of life. There's this evil and there's this, this panic, this frustration, this idea that I, I need to find something that's fulfilling to me. I need to find something that's, that's, that's going to fill me up. It could be in an, in an addiction, but it could also be in good things like in your family. Sin is ultimately taking a good thing that God has given you and making it a God thing or making it an ultimate thing, as Tim Keller says. It's making an ultimate thing out of all of the things that you have. Instead of worshiping the true and living God, we worship the things of the true and the living God. And what this does is it creates this madness in us, and it constantly causes us to go after stuff and after stuff and continually. And sometimes your affections change, where like at one point it's all about work. And then another thing, it's not about work, it's just about family. And then another point, it's about sex. And another point, it's about something else. And so pretty soon, our life is this disordered process of worship of everything else but the true and the living God. Every problem within the context of your life has its root, oftentimes, in a disordered worship. Rather than worshiping the true and the living God, you end up worshiping either yourself or another person, or the things of God that God has given to us. And ultimately, everything comes from him. So what he's saying here is he, he says, but he who is joined with all the living has hope. He who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Now, track with me here for just a second. I mean, this is, this is a little bit complicated. It's better to be alive than it is to be dead. Pretty crazy, huh? It's better to be alive than it is to be dead. And what he's saying is this, is that many of us live our lives in such a way that's, that's all about finding, catching, getting this, chasing all of these other things in life, and we go, and we go, and we go, and then we die. And that's it. And we may have become this great lion. We may have become this majestic creature, but ultimately, a dead lion is no good. And so he says a dog who would not be something that is looked at with affection during his day he says, it's better to be a dead dog, I'm sorry, <laughs> a alive dog, a living dog, there we go, uh, than a dead lion. What's he, what's he saying here? He says, for the living know that they will die. I look at that and I, and I, and I think this, you're only truly living when you fully come to terms with the fact that there will be an end. All of your chasing, all of the stuff that you're going after will come to an end. It will all end. He says, the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing for they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished. 
and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Pretty uplifting message, huh? Life is going to end. It's going to come to an end. It, it, just get acquainted with that thought. Life is going to end. So what do you do in the meantime? What's your purpose here in life? If, if the end is for sure, what do you do in the meantime? What should happen? Well, he's going to tell us. He says, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Look at this verse. Go. It's an imperative. He's saying this. He's saying, you must move with haste. Get on it. Get going. Get going on this, what I'm about to tell you. And he says, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. Now, why does he say this? Why does he say this? Do you see what he was talking about? There's evil, there's madness in our hearts. We're constantly chasing, constantly looking for things. The essence of ultimately going to death and like our life being meaningless is found in this reality that we're not going and being joyful over the bread that we eat and over the wine that we drink. But ultimately what we are is we're constantly looking for the next thing. And we've never stopped to really enjoy fantastic food. We've never stopped to really enjoy it. In fact, when we pray over our food, we say oftentimes, God, we ask that you bless this food to our bodies. And you know what's wrapped up in that? Hey, God, I want you to bless this food so that it's good for me. Rather than saying, wait a minute, you're the one who gave the food. I'm not blessing the food, I'm blessing the one who gave me the food. But really, even as Christian people, we're oftentimes praying and saying, oh, God, would you please bless this food to my body rather than saying, I want to bless the blesser. I want to bless the one who's truly given me what I have to eat. Do you know what the key to life is? Do you know what, you know what understanding what a happy life is? It's understanding that the things that you have have come from God. And even in the midst of turmoil and great evil and death that happens all around us, God's word for you this morning is this, is that he has given you bread to eat, wine to drink, and he desires that you would be somebody who is joyfully engaging in what he's given you. Joyfully engaging in it. I've told you before that oftentimes I struggle with that because my mind is always going on the next thing. I'm always thinking about what's the next thing in my life. I'm sitting at the dinner table, and I'm thinking about my grass, which comes up a lot, not like weed grass. I know we're in Oregon, but like, uh, like, like mowing grass, you know, that, that, that type of grass. I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, how can I fix that little dead patch there? Or what, what can I do next with here? Or what about the church, and what, what about this? But here's the thing. I'm not sitting at my table with my, my family thinking about them sometimes, and thinking about what God has given me in the relationships there, or thanking God for this incredible food, I'm not living in the moment. I'm living in the future. And some of you are living in the future, and some of you are living in the past. What Solomon is saying here is he's saying that in order to get by in this life, in order to really understand what God has for you, 
You've got to be somebody who says, I appreciate and I love this food. Now, I don't know if you uh, love good food or not, but my wife and I, we just had our anniversary this, uh, this last week, and we went to the coast eight years. I'm sorry, nine years. Whoa. Eight years was last year. Nine years. That was such a mistake. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, I'll, I'll be the butt of the joke here. Okay. Nine years. And, uh, and so we, uh, we, we went over to the coast uh, for a couple of days without the uh, tyrants, and um, we just enjoyed ourselves. And, <coughs> excuse me, and we found this incredible restaurant in Astoria. And we come into this restaurant, and it, it is like it's overlooking the water and the bridge in Astoria there, and, and we're, we're in this booth, and uh, the, the gal comes up, and she had awesome customer service, and she's, she's amazing, brings us some incredible wine. And then we order a couple of appetizers, and so we had this smoked salmon on this, on this cracker that had this honey on it, and it was, it was so delicious. And then, and then we had uh, salmon cakes, these incredible salmon cakes that were just like, I mean, it was like you didn't want to eat it quickly, but I, you, just, you just wanted to like savor every bite. And then after that, we had, uh, I had prime rib. It was incredible prime rib. And, and here's the thing. You can't go to this restaurant right now because it's a couple hours away. I know this always happens. When I talk about food, everybody goes and crowds into that restaurant. But you can't go there this time. You just have to imagine it with me, how incredible this prime rib was. And, I mean, and then we got done with, with that, and then she comes out, and she says, you know, I just pulled out a hot uh, peach cobbler. Would you like some peach cobbler? And we said, yes, absolutely. I mean, the, the answer to that question is always yes. And so we had some, some peach cobbler, and then we had some, some more wine. You know, oftentimes we're not present in that moment, though. We're not thanking God for what he's given to us. And really, we're living in another moment, and we're thinking about the next meal, perhaps. We're thinking about something else that's going on in our lives. But this statement here is so simple. It's essentially saying this. Have joy in the midst of your life, in the midst of the things that you have. Because if you're somebody who has a disordered life of worship, if your worship is disordered, and that you are totally after all of these things, and you're not thanking God with joy for the things that he's given you, ultimately you're just pursuing these things. If you're just thankful for food, and you're not thankful for the one who gave the food, ultimately what happens is this, is that that can turn into gluttony. If you're just thankful for the funds that you have, but you're not thankful for the one who gives the funds, then ultimately what happens is this, is that there's a lack of joy in your life, there's a note of discontentment. There's a life that's lived in constantly pursuing money. There's a life that's lived in constantly pursuing other things. And then he says this, for God has already approved what you do. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that God approves of everything that I do? That God approves of every detail of my life? That's not what he's saying. He's saying insofar as it has to do with enjoying the things that God has given you. Insofar as that takes place, that is what God approves of. God approves of those who enjoy the good things that he's given them rather than constantly looking for other means of satisfaction, but enjoying the things that we have. It's about contentment. It's saying, God, thank you for the things that I have. Beyond that, I don't know what type of religious environment you grew up in, but I grew up in an environment that was fairly legalistic at the time. And that's, that's no secret. My, uh, one of my parents is here, and, 
and whatnot, but I think we'd all say the same thing. It's a fairly legalistic environment. And the, the day and age, the type of denominational type situation we were in. So there was a lack of really in, enjoying wine, perhaps, so alcohol wasn't ever allowed. But there was also this sense in which I think I had, as I grew up, that I couldn't fully enjoy everything. I couldn't fully enjoy all that life has for me within the context of who God is. And in fact, my life kind of looked like this idea of just feeling like I just, I needed to not enjoy too many things, not really get into those things, not really enjoying what God has for me. Some of you grew up in, in religious environments like that, and you've come to this point where you're just like, I just hate that. I hate this idea of not being able to enjoy life. But what Solomon is saying here is he's saying it is honoring to God. And God approves of the idea of you eating your bread with joy and drinking your wine with a merry heart. And then he says in verse 8, let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. What's he saying here? He's, he's saying go to a party. Put on your best clothes, grease your hair. It's going to be fantastic. We're all going to laugh at you, but it's going to be hilarious, right? He, he's saying, put on your best clothes. This idea of oil on the head, it's a luxurious thing. It's joy. It's happiness. It's not sackcloth and ashes, but it's a white garment. It's, you're, you're going in a tux to a party. What, what's he saying here? He's saying, with joy... Go, dress up, enjoy life, enjoy what God has for you. So many times in the church we're talking about, you shouldn't enjoy that. Don't enjoy that. Don't do too much of that. Don't do too much of that. What he's saying here is he's saying, enjoy the good things that God has for you. Enjoy your life. Too many of you Christians are not partying enough. Like there's just not enough going on. Like there needs to be some more parties. There needs to be some more dressing up. You know what I love to do? I love to invite people over to my house and throw a party. And I especially love to have people who aren't associated with the church at my house for a party. Because you know what I want them to know? I want them to know that my God is so good that he created all of this. Yes, I, I heard that. Uh-huh. He created it. My God is so good. He's so incredible. He's the one who gave me this, and I get to enjoy it to its fullest. Not in gluttony, not in drunkenness, but in showing that this God who approves of me, this God who has given these things to us to enjoy, he is, he is this bountiful. He wants to give to you. He wants to be overflowing with hospitality. He is this incredible God. But so many of us are so inwardly focused, thinking, well, I'm just a Christian. I don't, I don't want to do anything that's fun. I don't want to have too many people over. I don't want people to get the wrong idea about me. No, I want people to get the wrong idea about me, Right? I want them to go, dude, it, you are having ragers over at your house, and you need to stop. It just sounds like it's just this wild and crazy party. I know we're Christians. And you know what? I'm hopefully, if it doesn't rain, we're going to have a bunch of pastors at our house next Sunday. And then we're going to sit out there. We are going to have some beer. We are going to eat a lot of meat. 
a lot of meat. If you've been, ever been to an event that I put on, there's a lot of meat there. So there's going to be a lot of meat there, and then I'll bet you we're going to sing together in the middle of my neighborhood some hymns. And you know what? My neighbors are going to be like, what the heck is going on over there? Sounds like a kegger. Then they're singing hymns. This is confusing. What a beautiful, beautiful thing that our God is so good that we don't have to get drunk, but we get to enjoy the good things that he's given us. And we get to party even though we're not doing anything wrong. God already approves. Here, we got to keep going here. Verse 9, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. I don't know, I, you know, I'm no counselor, but I, I think he sounds a little bit cynical, right? Uh, I mean, just a, a note of cynicism in this man, your vain life. What he's saying there, he's saying, your life is temporary. Your life is temporary. He's already talked about this. Death is coming. He's going to say it again in a minute. Death is coming. What should you do with your life? What is your purpose in life? It's to enjoy the good things that he's given you. Enjoy life with the wife or the husband, with your spouse. Enjoy life. Perhaps you're not married yet. Enjoy the relationships that you have. Enjoy them. But I'll tell you this. What's working against us, married folk? What's working against us? Children uh, are working against us. Satan is working against us, right? Maybe in this order. I love my kids. No, I mean, here's the thing with me and my wife is that we have, uh, for the most part, always gotten along. Nod for me. Nod. Yes, yes. Yes. Give an affirming nod. We've, we, I would say, I think our marriage has gone very well. But something's happened in the last, I don't know, few months where life has just gotten intense. It's just gotten really, really, really intense. Because our, our kids are everywhere. They're in the midst of it. And we try to have a conversation, and it's just going nowhere. And it's like we're, we're having to talk louder, so it sounds like we're yelling at each other. I love you! But we're not really yelling at each other sometimes, but we're just in the midst of trying to work things out in life. And my wife is exhausted even though she keeps an incredible home and she does an incredible job with our kids when I'm not at home and when I'm home too, but uh, she does both. But life just gets intense. And so what this is saying here is he's saying, enjoy life with the, uh, with the wife whom you love all the days of your temporary life. And so here's the thing is that within the context of your marriage, it takes a lot of work sometimes to continue enjoying your wife or enjoying your husband. To continue to enjoy each other is, I believe, it is the purpose of marriage is to bring glory to God and to replicate or display, I should say, the relationship that Jesus has with his church 
And ultimately, what matters most is how I die for my wife, how I sacrifice for her. But sometimes in the midst of that, it just gets hard. But what this is saying is that part of the secret to life and understanding what life is all about is saying that I am going to enjoy the one that God has given me. I'm not going to enjoy any other woman in my life the way that I enjoy my wife. It's the woman saying, I'm not going to enjoy any other man but my husband. It's saying this, they are going to be the one that I enjoy the most. And for me and my wife, we have had to recalibrate as we go on in life. We've had to say, okay, uh, at one point uh, a few weeks ago, things were so crazy, and I could tell that my wife was at this point where she was like, uh, she, she was about to, I don't know. And I just said, um, I, think, I think maybe you need to get out of the house for the day. And she was like, no, I, you know, I'm fine. I don't even know what I'm going to do. I said, I, it's not a question of whether that's happening or not. Like, you're going to go find something to do. And you're going to be out of the house. And I don't care how long it takes right now. I just want you to go and do that. But she, she went away and she came back. And yet we're still at the same place where it's, things are difficult and things are hard. And it's, and it's a constant battle. And it's constantly going that way. So then we had to take a step back and we had to say, how can we be people who enjoy our marriage? Like we want to enjoy our marriage. We want to enjoy each other. What do we have to do to make that happen? We have to double up on making sure that we get out with one another. And so we have this restaurant just a, a few blocks away from us, Venti's. And Chris and I go in there sometimes, we have appetizers, and, and uh, she gets this foo-foo drink that tastes like Skittles in a cup, and, um, and I get like a man's, a man's drink, like a, the Tricera hops, and uh, yeah, yeah, it, it, just the sound of it puts hair on my chest. I don't have much, but, uh, uh, but, we, but we go, and you know what, we used to go to coffee shops, but here's the thing about coffee shops, is that they put me to sleep in the evening, and I don't really like coffee shops that much, and so we found something that we both like to do. And so we both like to sit there, we get to hang out in a cool place, and we just get to hang out, and it feels like we're dating again. Solomon's words to us are essentially this, that the people who are fearing God, who are dependent upon him, are people who are saying, I am going to do what it takes to enjoy my wife I am going to do what it takes to enjoy my husband. And yes, sometimes it's difficult to do that because life gets hectic. Finances get in the way. It gets difficult. We must enjoy what he's given us. This is our portion in life. Verse 10 says this. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol. Sheol is just the place of the dead. It's not hell. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, another uplifting statement. <coughs> Jesus said something similar. John chapter 9, verse 4. We must work the works of him. Who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. There's an urgency about our life. And this urgency is essentially this. Do what God has given to you to do 
with all of your might. Do the work that he's given you to do. If you're somebody who's in the midst of customer service, give excellent customer service. If you're somebody who is... uh, Uh, working in some type of capacity somewhere in the city, you make sure that you're working with all of your might. This is enjoying what God has given you. It's saying, I am going to utilize the gifts and the talents and the stuff that God has given me. But too many Christians think, well, uh, I'm just waiting for for heaven to come and I'm just going to kind of get by. You end up complaining to your boss about, about an employee who's sore in front of you. You're, I mean, it's absurd. You're, you're an angry person sometimes. You're disgruntled. Get upset at, at people in customer service situations. Argue. Those types of things. Rather than being somebody who works hard. Being somebody who creates with all of your might. Being somebody who uh, helps people with all of your might. Are you somebody who is saying, I want to glorify God in every way possible with the way that I'm working? Or are you somebody who's saying, you know, this is a dead-end job. I don't really care to do this. You know what that's saying? It's saying this. Forget God. Forget what he's given me to do. Forget what, what's going on there because I just want to do my own thing. You know what? We walk around in misery. There's some Christians who are known for absolute joy. There's some Christians who, who are known for what they're doing. And, and people are just impressed by them. But I want to tell you there's a lot of Christians who are not known by that. There's a lot of Christians who are known for their complaining about what they have whether it has to do with their food or with their work or with their wife or with their husband. But that is to miss the point of what God has for you. That is to completely miss the point. He says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. There's going to come a point where there's going to be no more availability. And God has given you an opportunity to live right here and right now. Your purpose in life right here and right now is not to look towards that end, but to say right here and right now, how am I going to honor God in this way? He's already approved of me loving my wife, loving the things that he's given me, working hard with my hands. So how am I going to do that? This is, in part, the secret to life. Verse 11, again I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happens to them all. This is what I believe Solomon is saying here. He's saying, okay, you don't believe me? Okay, you can chase. Keep going after it. But I want to tell you, it's no guarantee Because all of the things that happen, happen by chance. He's saying this, that he's saying we don't have any control over it. God's the one that's in control. And when we look at it under the sun, from our point of view, it looks like it's just chance. 
And so you can sit there and you can say, you know what, if only I had a little bit more of this, then I could win this race. Or if I was a little bit stronger, I could win this. If I had just a little bit more wisdom, then I could bring more home for my family. If I just had that. But God has given you his portion, your portion. God has given you what you have. It doesn't mean that you don't work hard. But it means this, that your ultimate aim and your ultimate goal cannot be in chasing and chasing and chasing. It will run you to the end and you'll be left with nothing. You will not have enjoyed the life that God has given you. Verse 12, for man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Now this is when it gets serious. Your life at some point is going to come to a sudden end. I go to a gas station every morning, oftentimes, walk in, talk to the same guy all the time, maybe a couple times a week. And a couple weeks ago, I walked into the gas station, and I'm looking at the clerk, different clerk, and I look down, and I, and I see a memorial service for this guy. I said, what happened? Did, did he die? I said, yeah, I, mean, I just was here yesterday. Like, I know. He died. How did he die? Well, he was in a car accident and died instantly. Hit, hit a tree. You do not know when you are going. You do not know. It will happen suddenly. It may not happen in a car accident. It may not happen until 40 years from now. It may happen five years from now. It may happen from natural causes, or it may just happen from something else. But I want you to know that, it, that it's coming. And Solomon wants you to be very firmly aware of something. That this life is going to come to a close. And that God has given you an opportunity to enjoy him. To enjoy the good things that he's given you. And you might say, well, but I, I, I just, I want to keep running and I want to keep running. No, you're, you're being disobedient. This is evil in your life. This is madness in who you are and who I am. We're constantly chasing, constantly chasing, constantly chasing, never blessing the blesser of all good things, but we're constantly going after things. And he says, man does not know his time. It's like an evil net. It's gonna, death is going to come and it's going to take you. And what will you do at that point? Let me tell you this. The only way to truly enjoy your life is through understanding that it came from God. And the only way to truly capitalize on that is to receive what God has for you. That's the only way. Our lives are constantly about worship. You're, you're thinking about objects of worship when you go home today. It may be the sun today. But it may be something else. It may be a relationship. Our lives are constantly disordered in worship. And here's the problem, is that if that is your only object, if your only object is just the thing that's in front of you right now, you're going to miss it. 
And you may get something, but it's, you're essentially going to be a dead lion. Life's going to come to a close. And you're going to be in a bad place. Death is going to suddenly fall upon us. And what are you going to do then? What are you going to do? The only way to be assured of what's taking place at that moment is to understand this. Your object of worship can only be one thing. It can only be the true and the living God. If your object of worship is anything else, it will take you to places you don't want to go. If your object of worship is even good things that become ultimate things, that is your God and it's not the true and the living God and you're not truly enjoying life. You're not really truly enjoying anything. Solomon gives this example, verse 13. He says, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. Now, why did he just tell us this story? He says this. People don't want to listen to the poor old man in the midst of a huge battle. Like, there is this huge army that's coming against this city and people don't want to listen to him. People don't want to hear what he says. But he actually has something to tell us. He actually has something to whisper to us. This poor old man has wisdom. Now, why is he telling us about some poor old man in a besieged city in the midst of all this about joy and death and all of this? This is why, I think. Verse 17. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. The wisdom of God is whispered. The wisdom of God is whispered. Do you know where it's shouted? You know what's, what's shouted throughout the rest of our culture? Foolishness. Got lots of rulers. Got lots of celebrities that shout. Oh, you know what? This is what I think. I think you should do whatever you want. Oh, yeah? Thank you, oh, wise one. The shouting of a ruler among fools. Do you know who we have in, in, in our world? We have rulers among fools, and there's many of us who are following it, me included at times. But the wisdom of God is whispered, and it's counterintuitive. And you don't think that you're going to hear anything, just like an old man who says, hey, I have an idea. I have an idea. Okay, we're out of ideas. Tell us. You know where God's hoping that you're going to be? Out of ideas. Do you know where you might be right now? Out of ideas. In a besieged city. Because of this. God just wants to sit you down. He wants to say, sit down and shut up. And just listen. Because I just want to whisper the words of wisdom to you.
And the words of wisdom are not found in everywhere else. Just because this is what the world says doesn't mean anything. This is my wisdom that I'm bringing to you. And it says this, that is not going to get you what you want. Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is the one who brings true life. Jesus is the one who makes our object of worship effective. Jesus is the one who causes us to have a different life that's ordered correctly where we can truly enjoy life because if you don't have the true and the living God, then all you have are dumb little objects of worship that will never take you anywhere, that will never save you. But Jesus says he's the resurrection and the life. He's the one that says there is life after death and I can take you there. There is life after all the things that you've experienced, even the bad things. There is life, and I can give it to you. And he showed you this on the cross. He showed you this on the cross. You must give your life to Jesus Christ. If you haven't done this, you must give your life to Jesus Christ. Do not put it off. Death will come in an instant. My friend died the other day. Death will come in an instant. You don't know when it will take place. Do you want to waste your life? Do you want to go after things that are meaningless? Death will come suddenly. And your life could be wasted or it could be spent in great enjoyment of our creator and for eternity because of Jesus being the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there's so many of us in here that have a disordered life. And Lord, we've been listening to the words of fools who, are, who seem to be rulers, but they're just a ruler of fools. But we don't understand that it's leading us to death and that death is going to suddenly come. Lord, I pray that for so many of us, so many of us in here are Christians, but yet we still live in this way. We take on worldly wisdom and we're not listening to the still, small voice of who you are, hearing the wisdom that you have for us. So Lord, I pray this morning for those that are here, that have an area of their life that needs to be submitted to you. Perhaps they have not been enjoying the simple things that you've given. Perhaps they have not been enjoying their spouse. Perhaps they have been a less than productive worker at their job and they need to repent of that. Perhaps they've been lazy and not working, but we glorify you and you approve of us insofar as we're operating in this way. So Lord, we ask you for that, for those of us that are believers. Lord, for those of us that do not know you, that don't have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that you would make it completely clear that our objects of worship will not lead us anywhere. It will lead us to emptiness and death will come. Time is short and you are the resurrection. Lord, I pray that they would say yes to you, repenting over their sin, saying, Lord Jesus, 
I see that I have had other objects of worship and I have worshiped so many other things but the true and the living God and today I want to give my life to you. I don't know what that means entirely yet but I want to give my life to you. Lord, I pray that they would say that to you and Lord, that they would follow it up with actions, that their life would be changed truly, that they would become a disciple of you and that they would see that you've already called them to yourself, that you already love them as, as much as you will ever love them which is beyond any compare, that they don't need to work for your love, that they don't need to work for anything, but to say thank you for what you've done for us. So Lord, we ask you for this, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.